Jacob seems to be anything but a model disciple. He's a trickster, liar, and selfishly ambitious man who fathers children with four women and leads a dysfunctional family life with jealousy and backstabbing. But Jacob is also Israel, the namesake of the Old Testament community of God, chosen and blessed. As such, this sinner saint who limps along with the Lord, burdened by weakness and beset by problems, is the mirror image of all of us who follow Jesus. In his life, we see our lives, our struggles, our failures, and most especially the God who loves us and chooses us as his own. As we explore his bio, from his wrangling in the tomb with Esau to his death as an old man in Egypt, we'll learn more about ourselves and the God who is with us and for us in Jesus, the Messiah. My guest today is Chad Bird, author of Limping with God, Jacob and the Old Testament, a guide to messy discipleship. Chad is a scholar in residence at 1517. Besides being a popular author, he speaks at conferences and congregations and co-hosts the podcast 40 Minutes in the Old Testament. Chad and his wife Stacy live in Texas where they're blessed with four children and three grandchildren. This is Kay Meyer, president of Family Shield Ministries and your host for today's program. Thanks, Chad, for being our guest today on Family Shield. Thank you, Kay, for the invitation. I've been looking forward to our conversation. I'm always happy to have you. So why did you write this book, and why the name Limping with God, Jacob, and the Old Testament, A Guide to Messy Discipleship? Jacob has been long a a fascinating character to me. Uh, I spent quite a bit of time when we worked our way during the podcast through his life, just thinking about all the various aspects of what he experienced and the various stages of his life. So I wanted to return to that and, and spend some time writing a book about it. And uh, it, also, he Jacob is unique because he really is the first character where we know basically his entire life. We meet him when he's actually in the womb, and then we follow his life trajectory all the way until he's an old man in Egypt. So we know far more about him than we do almost every other biblical character, and certainly know more about him than we do anybody else in Genesis. And he, uh, he, he, he's not necessarily the most likable character. There's a lot of uh, not-so-pretty aspects of his life, and I thought that might also be an interesting exploration in, in the book. So uh, that was what interested me about him and why I wrote the book. I got the title from that famous episode which happens at night when Jacob is alone, and this mysterious figure shows up and wrestles with him. And, of course, at the end of that wrestling match, you have that, uh, that name given to Jacob, where he used to be called Yisrael, or Israel, as we say, which literally means one who strives or fights with, with God. And then after that wrestling match, he, he limps away. He doesn't run away, he doesn't march away, he limps away from that wrestling match, which is indicative of the fact that often in our encounters with God, in whatever form that takes, we we are actually weakened in ourselves in order that we might rely more upon the Lord and, and His strength. 
Wonderful. Well, your book is divided into four parts, and we're going to try just to talk about each of those four parts today, because I would hate to just talk about the beginning or the middle or the end, but uh, with a 28-minute program, um, we're, we're going to give you a lot to share in, in just a short time. So part one is entitled The Early Years, The Brothers, Harry and Heal. Discuss again this title and how the big things of God begin in little places. What are some examples from the Bible or from your own life? And what does this teach us about God's ways? And how does it call forth faith from us? Yeah, so I, I got that particular title, The Brothers Harry and Heel, from uh, it's a pun on their name. So when when Esau, who is the older of the two brothers, is born, he's, uh, he's covered in, in red hair, and so they name him Esau, which is a Hebrew word similar to, to Harry. And then Jacob is named because when he is born, he is holding on to his brother's cave, which is a Hebrew word for heel, and related to that is the name Yaakov, which, mean, which of course, we pronounce as Jacob. So Jacob's name literally means heel, and Esau's name is connected to the word for Harry. So these twin brothers, Harry and Heel, or Esau and Jacob, even when they're in the womb, their mother is told that two nations are going to come from these two individuals, which is really, it's an astonishing promise from God, because we're talking here about two unborn children, and God says, from these two children shall come forth these nations. So even though we're talking about something, of course, incredibly small, these two unborn, uh, two unborn boys, from them something big is going to come forth. And I, I use that as an example of how God does begin in small ways when he begins a, a great work in our lives or, or in the world. Martin Luther once said that, in the beginning, God created the world out of nothing, and he basically continues to operate that same sort of way, meaning that from something which is nothing, God does great things. From something which is very small, seemingly nothing, God continues to do great things. And we see that over and over in the scriptures where you'll, you'll have, for instance, a Moses, an 80-year-old who has a speech, some kind of speech problem, or at least he conceives, perceives that he does, and he's just a shepherd in the wilderness by now, and yet God chooses him, of all people, to go and deliver his people out of the land of Egypt. Or he chooses, Jake, uh, chooses David, the, the youngest of the eight sons of Jesse, who's just out taking care of the sheep. He chooses him from being a shepherd of sheep to be actually the shepherd of, of Israel. And of course, all this goes into the life of Jesus himself, who is, as Isaiah tells us, is, is not outwardly uh, glorious uh, and he just he looks just like a regular Jewish male from the first century, and yet we know that from in this one man who is both God and man will come forth the salvation for for the world. So just like in these two little boys, uh, Jacob and Esau, God was working something big, so He continues to do that in in our lives and in in the life of His church. Mm-hmm. He sure does. Yes, He does. Part two: the exile, the growth of Jacob's dysfunctional family. Uh, And this segment also talks about the stairway to heaven. So uh, what does that mean, and how can that impact our faith? Yeah, so uh, Jacob's life, as you mentioned, and as the book outlines, is kind of these four different parts. And the first part is when he's growing up. 
Uh, he's he's at home. He's having trouble with his with his brothers with his brother. And then uh, the second part begins when he has to has to flee. He has uh, taken the, the birthright and the blessing from his from his uh, brother. And so part two begins and really ends with his exile. So at the beginning of that, he has this he has this vision at night, this dream of a uh, a stairway. You could also translate that ladder. It's probably a stairway. The Hebrew word could mean either one, but it's a, it's a stairway where you have the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And this is the Lord, as it were, revealing to Jacob that he's with him, that right there where Jacob is is right there also where God is. And, and God appears to him, and he speaks to him words of grace and mercy. He just is he's pouring forth into Jacob's ears the promise that I will be with you. I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to be your God. He's basically giving to Jacob this promise that he also had given to Isaac before him, and then even to his grandfather Abraham before him, that it's in Jacob's line that we're going to have this promise of the seed passed down from generation to, to generation. So that's how it all starts. And then Jacob goes into exile, and uh, it's in exile that you have all of those well-known events occurring when he works for Laban, his father-in-law, and he gets married first <laughs> accidentally, we might say, uh, not knowing, unknowingly to him, he gets married to the older sister, Leah, and then to the younger sister, Rachel, and then that kind of begins, as I entitled it, this dysfunctional family that uh, that Jacob has to, in some way, deal with as a husband and father. So how might we use this part of Jacob's life to encourage spouses, children, and parents who think their family is a lost cause? Oh, it's such good news to uh, uh, to us. You know, when you when you read about Jacob's family life, and and as you said in the introduction, so he, he's fathering children with four different women. He's married to two sisters, Rachel and Leah, and each of them has a maidservant, uh, Bilhah and Philpah, and he's Jacob's fathering children through them. And you have, as, as anyone would suspect, you've got intense jealousy going on, not just between the the wives, but also between the sons, because they begin to realize as they're growing up that Jacob is playing favorites, that Joseph is his favorite son. And so you've got, you've got jealousy, you've got envy, you've got all these problems, and yet, this is the encouragement for us, and yet this is God's chosen family, and God is working in the midst of this group of sinners in order to still love them, to, to shepherd them forward, to, to be with them despite the fact that they are all messed up. They have these problems, and, and their marriages and their family is far from perfect. God isn't looking for us. God, God doesn't say, once you're, once, you're, once you're perfect, then I'm going to work in your life. No, he, he begins to work in our life where we're at, because we're never going to be perfect in this life. No. And so in the midst of our fallenness, he's working in our lives to accomplish his good and gracious will. That is so... Very true. So then uh, we'll talk about part three of your book, Coming Home, Fighting God, and Limping Onward. There's probably more, but in this section you have two chapters entitled A Dust Up with Jesus. Uh, Talk about that and also anything else in this segment that will interest our listeners, and I know it all will. But um, sometimes people would say, Jesus— where was Jesus in this story? Uh, and I think that will be something that everyone will want to hear. 
Yeah, yeah. Thanks, especially for for asking about that. Uh, so I'm titled to the dust up with Jesus for, for this reason. So when you get to Genesis, the part of Genesis that we're talking about, where Jacob is returning from exile, he's been gone actually 20 years, a long time. He left with basically nothing except uh, a staff in his hand and this Word of God in his pocket, as it were. And now he comes back, and he has this big family. He's got all these possessions that he's acquired in Haran. And right before he gets back, he has this nighttime encounter with this mysterious figure that I, I referenced earlier. Now, the Bible gives us three different names for this, this figure. Uh, so Genesis talks about him, and then Hosea, reflecting back on what happened in Genesis, also talks about this incident. And so this figure is called, uh, in Hebrew, an ish, which is just the word for man. He's also called a malach, which is the word for messenger, sometimes translated angel. And he's called God in Genesis. So man, messenger, God. So we might say, well, which is it? Well, if you, if you don't look at that incident in isolation, but if you look at it in the broader context of the Old Testament, you will notice that this fits the pattern of a lot of other episodes where this messenger from God will show up who is called God and acts with divine authority and will interact with God's people. It happens in the burning bush with Moses. It happens to the parents of Samson. It happens with the Israelites. And I would argue, and not just me, but this has been a long-standing argument uh, by Christian teachers, that this is actually the Son of God coming to his people in the Old Testament, temporarily in some visible sort of form, in order to interact with them in some way. So that's why I said this is a dust-up with Jesus. I understand this to be the Son of God who came down and wrestled all night with, with Jacob, uh, which, is, which is just astonishing in and of itself, because this is the only time when something like this happens in the entire, entire Bible, where the Son of God actually kind of gets down in the, in the dirt, if you will, and, and wrestles with, with someone but it, it is, I think, a window into what is, what is going to happen when you get to the, the climactic chapter in salvation history. So you've got Jacob here, and he's wrestling with, wrestling with Jesus. He's wrestling with the Son of God. And at the end of that, astonishingly, Jacob wins. Mm. So God lets Jacob win. Mm. And not only that, but he bestows upon him this, this name, this new name of Yisrael, the Godfighter. Now, what I think is happening there is this is a window into the into what's going to happen when the Son of God actually comes down in his incarnation. So the Son of God comes down, he's born of the Virgin Mary, and what happens? Well, you have kind of this long-standing wrestling match, this fight between Jesus and his own people, leading ultimately to them winning, as it were, by crucifying him, by putting him to death. Now, unbeknownst to them... This was God's plan all along, because by letting them win, God was actually accomplishing that which he wanted to, to accomplish for his people. So in the death of the Son of God, just like in Jacob's defeat of Jesus at the banks of the Jabbok River, God actually gets what he wants for his people. He gives them a new name. He gives them, he gives them victory. He gives them salvation in, in our Lord. So I think that's why that... that dust up with Jesus is so significant it's in the wonderful. picture of salvation history. Wonderful, wonderful. I want to make a few announcements, and then we're going to go continue talking about your book, Limping with God. 
Family Shield Ministries is composed of Christians who care about families and the gospel, transforming lives now and for eternity. The Family Shield radio program is aired on more than 50 radio stations and on many podcast platforms. We also coordinate the counter-cult ministry and educational and outreach services. We want to thank Joan Nicholas for her recent gift. She listens on KGWA in Enoch, Oklahoma. Thank you, Joan. We encourage our listeners to support us with a gift and become a partner with us in accomplishing Family Shield Ministries' vision and mission. You can write a check and mail it or give online at our website, www.familyshieldministries.com. Family Shield is a recognized service organization of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate. Now I want to go back to my guest, Chad Bird. Again, his book, Limping with God, Jacob and the Old Testament Guide to Messy Discipleship. And I think we can all relate to that messy discipleship because we're not perfect. The more we know Jesus, I think the more we realize what sinners we are. And uh, we're just thankful for what he's done for us by suffering and dying uh, to give us forgiveness and eternal life. So we have been talking about the four parts of his book, just very briefly. And part four is Growing Old, Colorful Coats and Saying Goodbye. In this segment, one of the chapters is entitled Jacob, the Preacher of the Gospel. Talk about how Jacob was a preacher of the gospel. I don't see a lot of that in there, uh, Chad. (laughs) I had a really, I read through uh, uh, all the verses in the Bible about Jacob, and, uh, you know, it was just like one or two verses that I saw, but maybe I missed something. So uh, just share a little bit more about that. Yeah, I, I fully agree with you. You uh, you have to look uh, pretty difficult to finally find where where Jacob does preach uh, preach the gospel, and uh, and I did. I, I tell you, Kay, what interested me about this is so of course Hebrews eleven that that New Testament chapter often called the uh, Hall of Faith. You know, hmm. the faith of believers by faith Abraham, by faith uh, Isaac, by faith Jacob. Mm-hmm. So you get to Hebrews eleven, and you might be asking yourself, well, you know. We, have, we know a lot about the life of Jacob. So if, if you were writing Hebrews 11, we might say, what aspect of Jacob's life would you focus in on? Would you say, like, you know, by Jacob, by faith, Jacob wrestled with the Lord, or by faith, Jacob uh, went into the far-off country and, and then came home again? What, what would you say? Well, when you get to Hebrews 11, and you're hearing about Jacob— he uses just one verse. He says, By faith Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. So this is just one incident. It's the very end of Jacob's life. He's a very old man in Egypt. He's in bed. He's, he's near death. And he blessed Ephraim and Manasseh. So those are the two sons of Joseph that Hebrews is talking about there. So I thought, well, that's interesting. I wonder why that was so important to, uh, to the author of Hebrews. And so I went back and I looked at Genesis chapter 48, which is where this incident occurs, and there's just a, there's a very, very insightful statement, blessing really, that Jacob gives. So this is when he's, he's crossed his hands, if you remember, over the heads of Ephraim and Manasseh. He's actually going to give the blessing of the firstborn to the secondborn. And he says this. So this is Genesis 48, 15. He blessed Joseph and said, The God 
before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the Malach, now that's usually translated angel, but it just means messenger, the messenger who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. Now in Hebrew, the God, the God, the messenger are all really talking about one thing. This isn't three, this isn't like two gods and a messenger, this isn't God and his messenger. All three of these are referring to the same one. So this is the God that before him the patriarchs walked, the God who shepherded Jacob, and this messenger who has redeemed Jacob from all evil. Now, to piggyback on what we said earlier about that wrestling match that Jacob had with Jesus, I think that that's who he's talking about here, this messenger who redeemed him from all evil, who was who has been with him, that is the Son of God. And he is, of all the verbs that could have been chosen, redeemed is the one that Jacob chose. So we could paraphrase Genesis 48, 16 this way. The Son of God, who has redeemed me from all evil, may he bless the boys. Mm-hmm. Which I think is just a wonderful way for Jacob to to, to end his life by talking about the Son of God, who is our Redeemer. And so in that way, Jacob did, after this long life that he had, end up actually with the Gospel on his lips, talking about our Redeeming Lord. Right, right. And the very last chapter is, Lord, teach us to number our days. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, in that chapter, I, I, I used it as a way to kind of reflect back on Jacob's life, as well as its intersection with our own life. So, Teach us to number our days, whatever we're going through in good times and bad, in times where you're, you're just feel like you're crawling through the valley of the shadow of death, or maybe you feel like you're, you have the hind seat going over the mountains. Uh, wherever you are, we pray that God would teach us to number our days, that we may present to him a heart of, of wisdom, that as we grow older, that we may strive always to live in faith, hope, and love putting our trust in our in our Lord Jesus Christ, because as we all know, life is uncertain. Uh, we're alive today, we might not be alive tomorrow, and God has promised grace to us today, so let us live in that grace, and let us always be ready when our last hour comes to know that uh, we are safe in the arms of our Lord. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, and when our last hour does come, we can close our eyes in peace, knowing that we will open them again to see the face of our of our Savior, Jesus Christ, there before us. That's wonderful. Thank you so much. So now I have a question, and that is, as I looked at all the verses about Jacob, I came to Matthew 1, 15 and 16. Is that Jacob, who was Joseph's father, and the father of Joseph was the father of Jesus? This Jacob? This is Matthew 1, 15, 15 and 16? Yeah. In the genealogy, oh, yeah, this is uh, this would have been this would have been uh, actually Joseph's. So Joseph, the call him what you want, the foster father, I yeah, guess of, Jesus, uh, of right. Jesus, yeah. So his his name would have been would have been Jacob. Although it, it is interesting because uh, here you have uh, the same kind of father son relationship. So in the Old Testament, you have Jacob and you have his son Joseph, but then also in the New Testament, you have this interesting connection between. Another figure named Jacob, and then Joseph, 
the husband of Mary, uh-huh. who was the foster father of, of so Jesus. It's so it's definitely not the same Jacob. That, that's what, what, what I was like, yeah. it can't be. The timeline doesn't fit. But I just had to ask I, that because uh, I guess, you know, it just said that. And, and uh, I don't know, something I read, I thought that's what it was saying, that it was the same Jacob. And I, I just thought, that, I'm going to ask Chad because that yeah. cannot be right. The timeline didn't seem that it would fit. But, yeah, that is interesting, Jacob and and uh, and Joseph and uh, the names, too. Yeah. Interesting. Well, well this is one of those uh, one of those connections between the Old and New Testament that we'll often see where you have kind of a mirroring, if you will, where mm-hmm. one mirrors the other. So I think... In the way that God ordered history, it worked out just that way, where the Old Testament matches the New in this way. Well, you know, just uh, kind of a, uh, an overarching message that I, that I really wanted to send is that, you know, very often people kind of get the impression, uh, and, and maybe these people are inside the church, maybe they're outside the church, but they kind of get the impression that, you know, if you're, if you're a real disciple, if you're a true disciple, then you're just always on the straight and narrow, you really have everything together, you don't really have the, the struggles and the issues that, that everybody else have. You're, you, kind of, you know, you're wearing a halo, as it were, uh, if, you are, if you're a real follower of Jesus. And, and the truth is, when, when we look at the nitty-gritty of the lives of, of the people of God in the Old and New Testament, what we see are people who are just like we are. Mm-hmm. They, they have their struggles, they have their sins, they have their problems. They, they deal with some sometimes minor issues, sometimes some very major issues in life. So that's why I call this a guide to messy discipleship, because yes. our lives our lives are a mess. Uh, and maybe they're okay today, but who knows what they'll look like tomorrow. Or maybe mm-hmm. they're okay this year, but who knows what they're going to look like next year. Mm-hmm. And in the midst of that mess is the God who's not afraid of our messes. He dives in. He's there to, to guide us, to forgive us, to love us, to, to bring us into the light when we slip into those pits of darkness. Yes, and we all have those times, and and it isn't about us. It's about what Jesus did for us, e- eternal life and forgiveness is free. We have two minutes left, Chad, and uh, just any other thoughts that you have to share as we close the program? Yeah, I would uh, I would close up by, by, I guess, saying something that I, I really say quite a bit in my writings and my, in my teachings, and that is that as we, as we look at the Old Testament, we're not seeing here kind of a, a moralistic kind of book, but instead we're seeing a book that in one way or another is always going to bring us to bring us to Christ. And we see Christ active in the life of Jacob. We see Christ active throughout the Old Testament. And this is just one more instance of how the Scriptures are testifying to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in the life of Jacob. Absolutely. That is great. And it is, there's so much more in the book that we didn't have time to touch on, but I would encourage people to pick it up. Now, I'm assuming they can get it at 1517.org. Um, yes, at uh, 1517.org at our, at our store there online or uh, wherever they purchase their books. Okay. Whatever online realtor. Yes. Yes. Be there. Very good. Limping with God by Chad Bird. And again, thank you so much for being my guest today. This is Kay Meyer with Family Shield. Uh, you can check our website out and get information about us at www.familyshieldministries.org. Again, my guest has been Chad Bird and his book, Limping with God, Jacob in the Old Testament, Guide to Messy Discipleship. 
And thank you for listening. This is Kay Meyer. You've been listening to Family Shield, a production of Family Shield Ministries. Its mission is to educate and equip people through the power of the gospel to know Christ, grow in His Word, and to strengthen individuals and their families. To learn how you can obtain resources or support the ministry, go to www.familyshieldministries.com or write Family Shield Ministries, 7045 Parkwood Street, St. Louis, Missouri, 63116. And tune in again next week for Family Shield. Family Shield.